You're listening to the Business Secret Podcast. The podcast is a chance for some of Wales' finest upcoming and established business owners to share the story of their business journey. Hosted by the team here at Penguin, our guests talk in depth about how they got to where they are today, offering invaluable advice on marketing, challenges, and the highs and lows of life as a business owner. If you like what you hear, then don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a comment across our socials. You can download your free copy of the book, The Business Secret, direct from our website on www.penguinwealth.com. The book is written for business owners by business owners, offering invaluable tips on time management, work-life balance, how to pick the right team, and so many more activities and tips to get you on the right track. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Business Secret Podcast. Today I'm joined by Colba Adamian Thomas of uh, Adamian Group. Uh, Adamian Group are a company that lead, optimize, and transform public and private sector organizations, their people, places, resources, and their assets, providing innovative direction, ambition, drive to, drive to create, and establish regional and local strategies, removing barriers, negotiating with governments, private sector, and private sector partners to ensure delivery of strategic objectives, programs, projects, and to achieve the preferences of senior stakeholders. Colba has over 20 years experience of director and executive level experience in political environments, successful leadership teams, advising and supporting boards, electing members and politicians of all parties at local, regional and national levels on both an interim, fixed term and permanent basis. Hello Colbert, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you Tom. How are you? Yeah, I'm brilliant. Thanks for asking. So first and foremost, I've uh, given a bit of an introduction there, but, but tell our listeners sort of what it is you do in a bit more detail and, and how you've got to where you are currently. Yes, very happy to do that, Tom. Thank you. Well, uh, as you say, um, I'm the um, managing partner and director of Damien Group. Well, our main business is uh, advisory and consulting um, along the areas you described. So primarily we, we work with um, public sector and private sector leadership groups. We look at... Um, opportunities really to add value around the, um, the public sector investment um, that's coming in from central government. And really we, lo- we look to um, improve options for um, private sector investment, for, for regional growth, for, for regeneration and uh, economic development. So within the main consultancy that's our primary focus but we also have um, specialist arms covering sustainability renewable energy and uh, rural and agricultural advisory Um, so that's quite good it's quite a good broad portfolio it keeps us really busy it allows us to be uh, quite dynamic in the areas that we go into Um, and uh, and myself personally i i tend to do the um, advisory work with um, government departments and regional bodies um, around economic development, placemaking and growth. I also work with local authorities, universities, housing associations, NHS trusts, um, and and we do some work with them on on transformation and leadership on that. Well, I'm not doing that. Um, I'm also chief executive of 459 Club, which is um, a business social networking club for senior professionals and business owners. So that's quite uh, a nice thing to to give back. So, uh, Quite busy, really, uh, Tom, over the, over the past months. And uh, pleased to say, since the uh, pandemic came along, I've been largely been working from home, which gives me a bit more time to, to fit things in. Um, in terms of getting here, um, I spent my earlier part of my career 
with um, in the private sector with contractors and developers before moving into professional consultancy and uh, follow that with a few years in the public sector before taking up um, corporate roles across uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa. So uh, quite a diverse career. So how did you, what was, what was the first job you had as always in terms of sort of education? How did you, how did you officially sort of go and back a little bit further? How did you sort of come to the, come to where you were in terms of the start of your career? In terms of uh, education and academic background? Yeah. So where did it, where did it all sort of go right back? Where did it all begin? Well, um, following uh, my time in school, I went off to uh, sixth form college for a year and uh, I went, went to the uh, Polytechnic of Wales. I studied uh, civil engineering and uh, that was quite good because that gives, gave me a really good broad background. Um, so I studied there for five years, vocational course, uh, played a bit of rugby, which uh, is quite good to get the balance there. Um, and uh, got my uh, HND and, and I got an honours degree in engineering, civil engineering, with some specialisms around um, construction and project management. I then went off to do my professional training. I trained in uh, three disciplines. I did civil engineering, highway engineering, structural engineering. Uh, when I completed that, I um, did a postgraduate certificate in business. Uh, more specifically, uh, management of professional practices, and uh, then went on to do a Master of Science in business, specialising in uh, qualitative risk, which uh, is a lot more interesting than it sounds. Um, <laughs> so, um, and um, in the midst of all of that, I've um, now got um, four professional fellowships and uh, a membership as well. So. Um, I think I've probably been doing something right along the way to to, to get that uh, comprehensive background before me. Yeah, definitely. This seems to. What was the what was the thing that made you decide to go from engineering to doing sort of the postgrad in business? And obviously, it seems like that's been the thing that's really where your career's career's gone and flourished from. It has, and uh, I think I think the um, important point to pick out here was. Um, I made a conscious decision when I started to do my HMD because that gave me a really broad background on a vocational basis, was working in placements with, with companies. So that um, when I did my degree, I was fast tracked. So I did a four year degree in 18 months. And um, that really enabled me to focus on the areas I wanted to focus on. So when I went to, into my postgrad, the reason I chose that, the two postgrads actually, the reason I chose it, it was because it was a modular course and it was picking up all the peripheral areas that you, professionally that you wouldn't have done during, during your first degree. So it's things like finance, postgrad law, um, commercial management, business psychology, sociology, behavioral science, communications, statistics, um, and so on and um, more so then develop specialisms around um, uh, proactive risk man management and avoiding risk in business. And, and that was really a bit of a key to it as well, Tom. And I think the lesson I've learned from this is um, those colleagues of mine that went in and just did a straight degree, it's fine, and they've, and they've have stayed in that discipline. But um, the ones of us that did a, a slightly less traditional course and had had a broader base tended to move into 
other areas and my engineering background still comes in handy i still do a lot of work on infrastructure and the process training was great but doing a postgrad in a, in a, in, a, in a different discipline means that you get deprogrammed as an engineer you don't you don't rely on the process training it's always there if you need it but you 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 ignite your creative side so what that means for me now is when i'm working with clients i don't rely on the dot to dot i don't expect to have everything there if i go in and i see a set of accounts or i see a, a program or i see um, a strategic plan or you know a corporate um, committee report i'm able to use one or more of those to put the pieces together to understand the full um breadth of the situation it also means that because of my postgraduate that i can engage and get more uh, effective results from professional colleagues so when i speak with solicitors or accountants or chief execs you know i can tailor my response to engage with them more effectively in their disciplines and then bring that knowledge back and be the glue in the organizations to make them fire on all cylinders and um, that's been really helpful over the years i can imagine yeah like you said it's you've actually sort of have an understanding of how or possibly how all the um these other disciplines think about problems as well rather than having maybe a, a bit more of a narrow approach if you did just have the your one speciality that's absolutely right and uh, i think uh you know my experience has shown me that uh, myself you have to leave your te technical disciplines behind you to progress you know and you have to be um skilled over a number of areas to be really good at what you do but for those of us that want to focus on an area it's important to find the common ground so you can interact with them and you can speak with them in their comfort zone and then bring them with you into the into the into the broader field so they see the peripheral areas and see the opportunities and you gain the trust and uh, when i report i report back to them in the way that they're happy so that builds a rapport and it allows me a little freedom to to be able to um actually push the organizations forward so yeah you're absolutely right yeah and, and by the sounds of it that, that leads to quite a what you say at the start as well quite quite a busy life and uh, in chapter five of the, the business secret we talk a lot about work-life balance and how it's important uh, i know a lot of people deal with it in very different ways but how do you manage a, a sense of work-life balance I, I i structure my week and I make sure that I set out what I need to achieve. Um, and I agree it with my clients and I agree, agree it with myself, if you like, you know, I, I understand that you can't predict everything. So I allow time within my week for unexpected events. And uh, typically before we had the lockdown, um, I would work long hours Monday to Thursday and I try and keep my Friday as free as possible. And uh, the reason for that is um, I'd be able to review what I was doing during the earlier parts of the week. I'd be able to prepare for the next part of the week. But also, if there were unexpected things that needed my attention, I was able to tackle them and get them done um, and make sure that they're not in my mind. Because there's nothing worse than having a cluttered desk and a cluttered mind and trying to sleep and your mind trying to process things at night. And uh, it's not very productive. So that was what I, what I used to do. Um, I think now with, with the lockdown, it's slightly different because um, I made a conscious effort of working from home. So my partner and I both work from home. And um, again, we structure the day. She does her, her time, I do mine. And uh, it's just a case really of saying, okay, 
that's it. When you finish, you finish. And um, making time for the family and, you know, shutting the door and um, making sure that uh, you're able to sleep at night, really. That's, that's the most important thing. That's the best advice I would give to everyone, anyone is, you know, don't spend too much time doing things, you know, take an overview, take a, take a, take a response across the whole piece. And, um, you know, if it's getting too complicated, put it down and go back to it. So that's what I do to keep my balance. Brilliant. Is, is that something you've, you've learned from somebody else or is it something you've just trial and error of how have you, have you got to, to structuring that way? Well, it goes back to my, uh, my master's, uh, Tom, and, um, you know, I did a bit of studying in, in time management and uh, in terms of um, uh, business psychology and the 80-20 rule and um, looking at um, qualitative risk, which is about avoiding risk before it happens and then mitigating risk. And I've written some papers around this and, and time management's quite an easy one to, to tackle if you understand yourself and those that you work with sometimes you've got to be quite tough on others and say well i'm sorry um you know that piece of work cannot be done in in three hours um and sometimes you can say to people well i don't need a month to do that i'll do it for you in a week but what i tend to do is agree the parameters with the clients uh and the, the realistic parameters and then work within those parameters and set things out so a bit of self-taught and um, a bit of learning along the way. Great. So, in, so, so I guess following on from that, then um, we we're big believers in having mentors for for us as a business and, and us as individuals. Is that something you've had along your journey? Whether it's a coach, is it? Do you act? Do you possibly mentor other businesses? What, what's your opinion on mentoring and coaching? Yes, exactly that. I I do uh, spend my time mentoring others. I don't have that much uh, mentoring myself. I, I, I think the approach that I've always taken is I, I tend to have one or two trusted individuals around me who have been there, seen it and done it. And uh, sometimes I run some ideas past them. I do tend to be the one that does the creative uh, things myself anyway. So um, I guess I'm in a slightly different position. So what I did was I set up um, our uh, business social networking club, the 459 club up. And that's also helped me and helped the other members. So what we do there, it's a different way of working. Rather than having a, a specific mentor, we get together every, every month at the same time. Um, so it's in our diaries, it's really easy uh, to, to, to get around and to arrange. And we just get to know each other. And uh, we have people who are, are leaders in different fields and, and uh, entrepreneurs and, and subject matter experts or senior professionals. So that's what helps me because if I've got a particular problem on, on, on something to do with, I don't know, IT or, or maybe in terms of um, uh, procurement, procurement, I can just go to them and say to them, look, you know, has anyone come across this before? We've tried to engage this particular company and we've got, we've got nothing from them well that's okay because we know this company and they've done it before and um they've done it twice with us so maybe you could give them a call and that's the sort of thing that helps me along the way uh tom it, it's got uh, it's got its advantages over just having one-to-one -one. having that group there who are givers does help mm. and how, how did you did, how did you start that what was the, the thinking behind it was it to have 
sort of like a group of um, experts or was it more in terms of maybe a marketing approach or what was your, what was the thinking behind 459? Well, I used to be the um, chair of one of my professional bodies up in London and we had a really large membership, uh, probably about six and a half thousand. And uh, we used to have networking groups there, but it was a bit one dimensional, you know, having everybody from the same industry wasn't particularly creative. And I used to go to other networking events and I used to find that people were pushing cards in my hand and trying to sell me things. And when, when I actually looked at this, these were directors from other businesses who were, were out there and needed to drive business or they were business development directors, which other directors were paying to turn up and do exactly the same. And uh, I've never given any business to anybody, just give me a card. So um, with those two influences, really, what I wanted to do was to set up a group which was by invitation and referral, um, where we had members who, who had got to a point where they're all pretty experienced in doing what they do, and they're all very competent, but most importantly, they were givers, and they're all seeing the same thing. And uh, all we ask is that our members give a commitment once a month to meet up, have a few drinks, and maybe something to eat, or at the moment we're online. And, um, that's great because there's no expectations. But what I found is, as you get to know each other, you get to know other people's complementary skills. So um, we got to the point where um, it's actually the complete opposite from those generic networking, <laughs> business card, sales-driven organizations. So it's quite nice. Oh, brilliant. And then, so I guess outside of 459, and if that's not a way of you, if it's more of a of a professional development mentor style group how do you how do you go about marketing marketing yourself and, and the various things that you do well marketing is always an interesting one for 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 niche businesses um i think the op opportunity that comes our opportunities i should say that come our way come from different different directions so um I, I spend a lot of time at um, seminars that are, are, are specifically around the areas that we engage in. I spend time with colleagues um, who do similar things to ourselves. They work in the same fields, maybe not exactly the same as we do, but complementary. So uh, what that means is that we may be able to share a bit of market intelligence about what's happening. We speak to clients. We um, look at ways that we can uh, add value to client propositions together. And um, it's quite a lot of word of mouth and, and referrals that um, we really work. And I don't go much for, um, do sponsor the odd thing. Um, but apart from, from that, uh, I don't go much for uh, really advertising and um, the general networking, uh, Tom, because I think you can spend a lot of money on that with minimal return. I think the business seminars are good if you go, if you go to some really relevant ones and um, a, combination of, a combination of all of those, I guess. Yeah, so has it been, so by the sounds of that, then it's more do a good job and get, get referrals rather than splashing out loads on whatever it be, social media or, or whatever that might be. I, th I think that's right. And... Um, I always make a point of, of trying to keep in touch with people and uh, if people are speaking that I know at a particular event or if there's a regular forum, uh, trying to go along with those and say hello. And, and, and uh, once you get to the point that you can get referrals, I think that's the best way to, to market. 
Um, and it's about setting yourself aside from others. Um, I'm sure you find the same, Tom. People come to you because they know you. Uh, they don't come to us because of our uh, marketing campaigns. We're not selling widgets. We're not selling um, uh, a broad national product. We're selling specific specialist expertise. And, and we don't want to be in the same crowd as everybody else. We want to be different. And um, that's how we do it. Oh, great. And then I guess sort of going on from that, then it's, like you said, it's sort of setting yourselves apart um, and trying to make yourselves different. And that's how you, so you market yourself. But how, how have you, how have you gone about doing that? Was there any big risks you've taken to get to that stage to, um, to help differentiate yourselves? Yes. Um, it's always difficult because the, the trade-off is um, people want me to do things all the time and me to front things up and, and the risks are you have to turn things down, that risk. Um, and uh, sometimes you've got too much on, sometimes you've got a little bit more free time where you think, well, uh, I wish I'd been able to spread things out a bit more because I wouldn't have had to, to let that particular client down or that piece of work go. So um, I think the risk is being able to uh, assess the good clients and the bad clients, the ones that will enable you to help them and the ones that just want you in there because um, um, they're having real, really bad issues and they're not sure what to do. And it's just working out, and it's not an easy, easy, easy thing for anyone, but working out um, who you want to work with and who you don't. I'm lucky now at the stage of my career where um, I can tell with one or two questions if I don't know somebody, um, whether they're going to be good to work with or not. And I do turn work down. And um, I think that, that's part of this. You've got, to, you've got to balance the risk up between taking a piece of work on that you know might turn out to be a bit of a train crash, that once you've done everything you can to mitigate the risks and, and to prevent the client having the problems, you still might be associated with. Um, or walking away from that and, and saying, like, the time is not quite right for this at the moment, so let's um, do something else. So. I think I think those are the main the main risks for me. Yeah, and, I, and to to follow it again is then if you're if you've got that position where you're um, you have those couple of questions where you instantly in your in your head know yes this would be a good person to work with no this this person may be asking too much from me or doesn't need the services that you offer. Do you have the same outlook when it comes to recruiting people as well? Is there a quite a structured way in which you do it and you try to it's for trying to find people that fit what you want them to do quite difficult not only as clients but also then as as employees or, or business partners we've got a really interesting business model with, with with that uh tom when i was in corporate i used to have offices with lots of staff and uh, huge overheads and i used to you know i used to fly over all over europe and parachute in and set these massive deals up and, and broker them and see them through and turn them around. And, you know, it's really exciting, very, very interesting way to work, but the overheads were horrendous and, and you end up on a hamster wheel where you have to get um, so much work in every month and you have to compromise what you do and where you are and so on. So, when I started up on my own about 20 years ago now, I, I made a conscious decision that I'd done all that and I was going to do this differently. So our businesses are set up um, as, as 
smaller businesses where we have uh, business partners and associate models. So I, I've got people I've worked with and I trust. And, you know, we've been in the trenches together battling <laughs> difficult circumstances with clients. You know, we turn things around where it's been really hard. And those are the people that I go to. And those are the people that we work with. So what it means is we're quite lean and we're quite dynamic. It enables me to have that work-life balance that you described because I can do what I want where I want within, within certain restrictions. Uh, but when we're looking to, to gear up to do a particular uh, piece of work, we do it on a collaborative. It, it's, it's, it's a basis. It's a far ahead of what most companies are doing, but it's really picking up the essence of all the good practice, you know, the sustainability, the, the local businesses, the, the, um, the, the, the living wage pieces, the, the, uh, the ability to be able to punch at the highest level and impact and support really effectively. And it, it, it's, it's a good way to work, but it, it's, it's not always easy to set up, but I'm glad they've done it this way. So, so I guess to find those people is that from people like you said, people who've sort of been in the trenches with previously, is that more of a you going back and headhunting people um, and deciding yes, I want to work with you, rather than having people come to you? Uh, mostly yes, and um, it, it's it's funny that uh, we talked about the four five nine club earlier and the fact that um, we work with people who are fairly well established in a corporate career, where many of them are gone on their own. It's exactly the same with this part of the business, which I guess is what influenced me with, with the 459 Club. But the people I, I, I kept a list of that were really good, and what I mean by really good was they're very professional in doing what they're doing, but they're 100% trustworthy and they're actually nice people. Um, and you'd like to work with them, and that makes a difference. Those people have tended to go out on their own now because they, they did the same as me. They came to the position where they'd done everything else corporately, and they were at the time where they were ready to take that step off a cliff and they've gone on their own. And that's brilliant because when they've done that, they're not carrying the overheads the large organizations do, but they've got all the knowledge as well. And occasionally I do go and work with larger practices who approach me and say, Carl, but can you come and support us on this particular bid or this particular opportunity? But it's nice to have that balance. And what I think it, it, it's done is it means that you can work as a local business or a regional business or with partners elsewhere um, and bring a lot more experience and value than you would if you went to a larger organization where you're buying a brand and things get, get, things get pushed down the line to the more junior members of staff or come out of the library to get signed up by the senior partners and recycled. So um, it's an interesting model. I'm assuming by the sounds of that, it's, it's working pretty well for you having I assume you've got an expert in pretty much every field at that point for whatever question it is you had going back to what you were saying about the education piece at the start that you now know you're unfortunately you know a bit about quite a lot I guess having a an expert in each of those individual fields makes any question quite easy to answer within your your quite close-knit network it does but I think what's been interesting is is um I'm now in a position where I um I, I've been the generalist and I am the glue and I can allow people, whether they're clients or partners, to do what they specialize in. But I've got enough experience along the various disciplines within my portfolio that I can hold my own as well. So yeah. 
you know, I've dipped down where there hasn't been people around and I've, and I've learned how to do things and uh, how to do things creatively and how to do things um, as a process. Uh, and, you know, I, I personally have led some very, very innovative things and some very creative projects where others have not even thought about us. Other people have failed. It's had fantastic events um, around that and fantastic results around that. But I like the idea of bringing others in because I don't pretend to be an expert at everything and I'm sure they've got knowledge and experience that I wouldn't have. So it's, it's, it's a yin and yang really, Tom. Um, I'm very capable of standing on my own two feet and, and commission people to do individual pieces, but it's also really good sometimes to have a team together where you can, you can hunt as a pack as well. It really comes down to um, the client's ambition and their aspirations to which model works best but either way you know whether i'm working with the existing resources within the client and, and turning those around and optimizing those or whether the client gives me a bit more free reign it's really rewarding to help them and be able to make a difference yeah definitely and it, it must must be a great sense of achievement when you've obviously got that that problem solving and you do get to the end of it and you see that your your work has been the thing that helps them progress and get to the next stage or, or whatever it might have been. Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's troubleshooting. You know, I've got, I had one particular client where um, they said to me, look, you know, we've been here two years. We've, we've only got six months left and we've got to do all this. Um, you know, we've got all these sort of problems. You know, we've got our, our staff have gone native with the supply chain. We've got a cartel. It's all gone horribly wrong. Can you do it? And it's really the challenges are the rewards. It's really, really um, flattering to be asked and be trusted to do these things, but it, 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 it's more rewarding to be able to turn around and say, look, you know, we've only had 13 weeks to do this, but we've outperformed in all these areas and here you are. And, and, and also to see the client win, win awards as well on the back of that. It's, it's, it's what it's all about, Tom, you know, I've never been one for just sitting there and, and going through the motions for 37 hours a week you know i'm output driven yeah. and i'm and i'm, and I'm uh, you know i'm delighted to help people so um come back to what you're saying earlier i think about you know the approach and how do you do things how do you recruit and you know how do you get your work-life balance it's really about setting your goals and and uh, doing as much as you can and ignoring negative people and, and just keep them keep them moving forward yeah, and, and going following on from that, then you're talking about setting goals and, and plans. In terms of eventual exit plans, have you got anything in place? We're, as financial planners, we're, we're big believers in having a plan based around your goals and, and how that might look and how people fund these long-term life plans. But have you, you yourself got any ideas on, on how that looks for yourself? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um... This is another area really where I've done things slightly differently from others. A lot of my colleagues who've come out of, of private practice and uh, some of the ones that have been in, in the public sector have started up businesses where their ambitions been to um, grow the business, bring more staff on, increase the turnover, and look to, to, to sell that business on. That's not what I wanted. What I wanted was, was work-life balance. I spent time in, in, as I said earlier, in the private sector, but in the public sector, in the commercial and corporate worlds, 
and I did all that by a young age, you know, and I, and I felt I achieved that and I achieved some, some, some good things out of that. So when I started on my own, I wanted the work-life balance. So the approach I took was to um, set, the, set my own businesses up, maintain the, the shareholding in those businesses, bring partners in as necessary into the other businesses, but very much use the businesses as, as, as uh, an opportunity to um, do, do the things that are interesting to me and, and the challenges for me. And then the money and, and the return and the, the equity that comes into those businesses really to, to, to invest and, and reward myself as and when it was suitable for me. And then I managed mostly my own investments. Um, I, I made some um, decisions along the way to, to put money into various things. And I do get some specialist advice from time to time, but I've ensured that uh, I've maintained my, my flexibility and freedom to pick and choose what I do and when I do it. Our parents' generation worked until they were, what was it, 60, 65, they had the pensions and off they went into the sunset, yeah? Yeah, generation, yep, Yeah, you know this better than I, but the generation that comes after us will have some, something completely different to that. And we're in the middle and we're in the more complicated end of things at the moment because if, you know, as a, as, a, as a new start, as somebody coming out of uni, they make decisions to do things based on their career. That's not where we are. So where we are is we've got bits of pensions, we've got bits of savings, we've got bits of property, um, maybe a few, few independent, independent shares here and there. And it's really complicated. And I think financial plan is really, really important. And uh, I guess I'm lucky because I do a lot of work around investment and development on a large scale. You know, some of my clients have, have um, portfolios in the billions that, that I, I advise on in terms of um, uh, development and, 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 and uh, asset optimization. So uh, physical asset, I have to say, not aside that you do financial planners. So uh, what's interesting to me about this is using your own individual experience and getting get in support of others around you. So that's what I've done. Um, I don't see myself necessarily retiring at 60 or 65. I think I'll still have things that keep me busy. I think I'll still have areas that I'll want to actively be involved in. Um, and um, what I would say to anybody is, what you think you're gonna do at 20 isn't what you're gonna do at 25. And certainly not what you'll be doing at 40. So any advice you can have, any consistency you can have with financial planning is, is, is going to be great. Yeah, no, so, and so it is, it's so true that you've, you've got it, at the, the stereotypical sort of two and a half kids um, and that family structure and then it being you get your state pension and you stop working the very next day. I think that's, that's definitely sort of being put on the back burner for a lot of people, especially business owners from the ones that we speak to where they want to have that flexibility and the, the idea of for some people others do want to do it and they want to retire and then never work again but but for others it's they can never see themselves not doing anything so they, they need to by the sounds of it, exactly what you've got where there'll be probably businesses that you'll be be making decisions or have some sort of input in until until the day you die of in some way or another i think you're absolutely right and uh what i've also noticed along the way is people people 
aren't in the position they think they're going to be in. I, I, I've got lots of friends of mine who got married young and um, for whatever reason, they're no longer married and maybe they've got children who are, who are in uni. I've got other friends of mine who are on their second marriage, second, second families. And uh, some of us leave it a bit later and uh, <laughs> uh, as, as myself and have, have a young family when they're older. And that's absolutely fine. It's not, it's not as easy as it used to be in our parents' generation. And, and, and there's lots of ways of, um, of tripping up along the way. And I think the, these changes in personal circumstances and the fact that not everybody stays in a career or the same company now over a period of time makes it very, very complex. So uh, um, I think you guys are going to have an interesting uh, few years ahead of you. And, and, and uh, more so with the pandemic, because obviously people's views to the way they work and how they want to work has changed over the, over the, over the last three months or so. It's, it's been drastic. It's obviously, like you said, we're, we're big believers in planning for, for the future and what, whether that's what you're thinking of in terms of carrying on working and, and seeing if that's affordable that you can maybe reduce from the 37 hours you were talking about to, to 20 or 15 or whatever it is you want to be doing. But it's making sure that that's there in the background so you have that flexibility. Um, it, it's big for, for us especially. And I, you know, I know when I went into corporate, I went from maybe doing 40 hours a week up to maybe 80 to uh, with a traveling maybe 100. And, and working for myself, there's weeks where I still do six to 80. It's not, not very often now, but there is. And, and uh, there's years where your income, your income goes up higher than expected, and other years where you want to have some time out. So it's really important because if you don't, if you don't look after yourself, um, you're not going to get the best out of things. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you on all, all of that, Tom. So on, on, on that as well, then we're obviously, for a lot of business owners, um, we're, we're big fans of making sure you uh, pay yourself first. And you're, most people set up a business with the intention of it, uh, giving them some sort of, sort of financial benefit um, mm. in some way or another. So how, how do you go about making sure that you, you benefit from, from your businesses? Well, um, it depends what I'm doing. Sometimes I do pay myself first. Sometimes I invest. But uh, sometimes I just have some time off as well. If, I, if I've had a really heavy, heavy year where I've been you know, battling with, with my clients against uh, some, some difficult circumstances for them, and I've been you know, spending four, 45, 50, 60 hours a week for six, nine months with them to get them out of a bit of a pickle, maybe I will take, take some time out. And... Uh, uh, so it, it, it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance. When you're working hard, you don't tend to tend to spend so much personally, but you've got higher business overheads. When you're not free earning you're at home, you might have lower, slightly lower business head, overheads, but you might be spending a bit more personally. Yeah. So uh, it, it varies greatly. Uh, and what I've learned, Tom, is that uh, no two years are the same. No. So, yeah, and it's planning, doesn't it? Especially, especially this year of all years. Absolutely. It's incredible to see. Do you know, I've been speaking to colleagues of mine and uh, some of them are having, having, having uh, furlough uh, subsidy. Others are having business subsidies, but depends where they are in terms of the United Kingdom and which county they're in. And uh, everybody's in a very different space at the moment. Yeah, it's every it's on, a, on a personal by person basis. It's, it's, it's incredible how some industries are getting really heavily impacted and and others aren't so much, some are booming, some aren't. It's, it's like you said, it, a lot of times depending on geography with, with the way things are at the moment without trying to get too political. Yeah. 
So um, thanks, Lars. Brilliant to, to hear your story, what you do in terms of planning for the future and recruiting and, and marketing. But what would be one piece of advice you would give another business owner after, after all you've experienced in the world of business? Oh, I think I think that's a, that's a good question. I, th- I think the simple answer, if there is a simple answer, is um, if you're going into business on your own, or you're thinking of going into business on your, on your own, get as much advice as you can from trusted individuals. Don't always listen to what people say, because some people have been influenced by their own experiences. Um, and uh, what I would say as well is uh, don't jump into it blindly. You know, make sure you spend your time preparing and getting everything ready before you go ahead and be sure that you, the market's there for you. I, I, I think the statistics I looked at when I started was that 80% of businesses fail within the first year and 80% of what's left fail in, in years two and three. So that means 96% of businesses fail within the first three years. So the most important thing is not to be one of those 96%. You want to be in the 4%. And when you start, it's about turnover. It's not about profitability. It's about turnover. You've just got to get your, 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 your credibility there. You've got to get your turnover up. You've got to get your bank um, credit uh, agreed and, and track record agreed and go through things. But um, you've got to be careful that you're picking the right area and, the, the, and, and try and anticipate the way the market's going because what's, what's popular today, as we know, may not be that busy next year. And there's lots of changes with tax legislation um, as well and, and, and this goes around uh, earnings in the public sector and the private sector, property and so on. So get some good advice before you do it. That's good advice. Very good advice. Um, so just uh, to recap that, so we've got sort of two that, two that I've picked out there, and that's get advice from trusted individuals and make sure you don't jump in blindly and get have a little actually look at what it is you're going into. Like you said, what's, what's popular today may not be popular tomorrow. Absolutely. So the final question I've got in relation to, to this is, is what's next for you personally? So what's the, what's the future look like for, for the Adama Group and and where's, what's the next, say, three to five years look like for you guys? Well, it's, it's a good, very good question, particularly in current circumstances. Um, work-life ba- balance is important. And, and uh, that's something I, I'm looking at at the moment and I'm always reviewing. Um, I think for us, there's, as you say, there's been some areas that have been busy and some areas not so through the, through the pandemic. What I'm looking at at the moment, is uh, the transition period that we've just started in. And uh, what's gonna, what does that look like? How long is that gonna be? Um, with pandemics, typically, not to put people off, but typically the second wave is worse than the first. And with a particular virus, it doesn't, like, it, it doesn't like warm weather, but it prefers cool weather. And we're going to the winter cycle shortly. So I would anticipate maybe the next six to 12 months we're going to have a transition period where um, there needs to be a recovery piece, a transition piece. Clients need to take the opportunity to do things differently uh, from before. 
that they have to let go of some of the old ways of working, some of the old strategies and delivery plans have to go. And there needs to be this period where we start transforming what we do. So it's going to be an interesting time. Once we come through that, hopefully we'll have um, what we call in now the new normal, which will be different ways of working. So um, what I've been focusing on over the past uh, uh, few months is really is looking at opportunities for clients to do things differently, to deliver their services more effectively, to do things with more uh, collaboration, with better with private public sector clients, with pu private sector partners, or with other, other partners from other sectors, and to really um, use the opportunity to bring in innovation and technology and um, to really uh, tackle the sustainability and climate change issues that, that have been um, a concern for a while. This is the opportunity to do it. Whether people want to take it is down to them. But we're we're placed now ready to help those who are who are going to be brave and and um, recognize the fact. I don't think everybody's going to do it, Tom. I think I think there's a lot of people that are uh, unable to evolve and and, and organisations don't want to change, and that's fine because we've seen five years of change in three months, and if they don't adapt the chances are many of these organizations are not going to be around in 10 to 20 years time. So we'll be back in the winners. Yeah. And I think there's, that's a lot of the things that, that we've been hearing as well. <clears throat> it's, it's like I said, that sort of five years worth of uh, progress in the space of three months, three or four months that could, these are the sort of the ways that I think people were very reluctant to go down there having virtual meetings, maybe and a lot of talk about office spaces at the moment. Um, and how, how people develop into in this new new normal, as you said. And I think it is going to be very interesting to see maybe after we've gone in, say, 12 months or so, if there is a second wave, hopefully not, obviously, but what, what that does look like. And I think companies like yourselves are going to be, be very important in helping those businesses, the ones who do want to evolve, evolve into a position where they, they can flourish in whatever the new normal looks like. Absolutely. You know, we've over the last 20 years, we've already put some forward thinking organizations on the front foot. So they'll fortunately now they won't be impacted as much. And they're the organizations, as you, as you touched upon, they've relocated services out of London or they've restructured the way that they're approaching their, their portfolios or, um, for example, we've been working on um, garden cities and uh, garden communities uh, where uh, there are hubs to working that are not in the city centres, where you don't need to use your car. Um, we've been working with, um, I, I personally worked with uh, University of Oxford in UK worker accommodation there for them. So, you know, there are, there are places that are, are, are ready to uh, make the most of the opportunities and um, those guys will do well. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing what comes next. No, it's going to be very interesting, like you said. Um, so we've learned a lot there. Thanks, thanks for that, Colbert, about um, Adamian Group and, and your, your life and how you've got to where you are now um, in terms of business. But now it's a chance for our listeners to 
learn a little bit more about you as an individual. So I've got some quick fire question here for you. So um, at the moment, if any, what books are you reading? Well, I've got a two-year-old, uh, Tom. So at, <laughs> the moment, at the moment, my focus is uh, on Zog. That's her favourite. So uh, uh, I've probably read that every night to her for the last fortnight, and I don't see that changing in the, in the future. Brilliant. Um, okay, outside outside of um, books for your children, in um, looking back, then what's the the best business book that you've ever read that gave you some some sort of insight? I'll be honest with you, I have read lots of books for um, my studying around business and, and I've got, I'm just looking at the bookshelf now, I've probably got 20 or 30 there that have been core text, but I would say um, the, the best way that I found to do this is I tend to watch presentations and I tend to like to see the body language and I like to see the energy from the presenters and that's the way that I I actually get the most out of this. Um, I, I'm currently doing um, an online course from Princeton on uh, on social science, and that is fascinating. You know, to see these these industry lead worldwide industry leaders talk about their experiences in those areas is, is fascinating. The one book I am going to read is um, I saw I met Alistair Campbell last year. And uh, he shared some really incredible and very honest thoughts about his business and personal circumstances. Really real head turner, Tom. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have a signed copy here on, on my shelf. Um, if anybody's interested, it's called Winners. He's, he's in a number of books, but that will be a fascinating read. So if anybody's looking for something different, I would really recommend that. Um, for Spin Doctor, he was amazingly honest and um, open about his personal and, and, and business challenges. And it, it's, it's going to be an inspiring read. I'll have to give that a look. I saw, I saw him um, speak at a conference about 18 months ago, um, and he was very, very good. So I can uh, definitely second that, that he's a very good speaker. Um, next question I've got then. So what, if any, what music are you currently listening to? Oh, back to the two-year-old, I'm afraid. It's uh, <laughs> from Frozen. I've, I've, I've learned it off my heart. Compulsory listening in the car. So um, um, I, don't get I don't get much choice anymore. So uh, that's it for me at the minute. Any podcasts or are we still, still just, listening to, uh, just listening to Frozen? No, no, no. I, I do get some podcasts. I, 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 listen, I listen and I've tried to listen to different podcasts, but... Um, one of the things I picked up from Alistair Campbell, really interesting, just to share, so I'm sure you wouldn't mind me sharing this, is what he said to me was, when you're not working, make sure you bring different things into your life. He said sport, rec physical recreation, music, and he said, make sure you get the mixture right. He said, I found it helps me. So, um, uh, I've had mixed experience with some of these podcasts. So what I, I tend to do is, um, um, as a season ticket, ticket holder at Liverpool, I tend to, uh, to listen to some of the podcasts there. And I find it's quite good because it's something that I've got an interest in outside of work that I've been um, involved in for a number of years. And it's quite nice to hear experts in different fields from, with different backgrounds um explain their thoughts there which is it's thought-provoking 
but away from your core business. So that's why I yeah. tend to listen to recently. You must be extremely happy then, I imagine, the last couple of weeks. Having waited 25 years for my season, <laughs> and uh, um, although I'm not able to be there in person, it, it, it's been a, a nice distraction, let's say, for, it, within the lockdown. I can imagine. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, we've, a lot of the questions are, have been around sort of things you're watching and, and listening to, but what, what outside of work then is, you said about maybe having other interests, Liverpool being one, what other things are there that you use to help yourself sort of switch off and have um, a different thing to concentrate on? Like you said, you mentioned rugby before. Is there what are the things that you use to, to help yourself switch off? I used to play rugby, um, and at the time, uh, being Welsh, uh, you know, we were stopped from playing other sports. So when I, I retired, I played at a reasonable level, but I retired at a, an early age. So what that allowed me to do was really to take up all the other sports I hadn't been able to to do before. So uh, I, I became an okay skier, learned to ride, um, uh, played a few sports on, on horseback, uh, did a triathlon, and, and you know, these are all great things. Uh, these days, because I have my own business and um, I, I, I spend a lot of time with my clients and I have a, a family and, and, a, and, a, and a young daughter, they tend to take a bit more of my time. And what I would say is, it's uh, for, for us, it's been a real blessing um, because um, you've got this little one running around with a bundle of energy and uh, joy, very challenging in some respects, totally different from the business. And um, it's nice to have that balance. And I, and I, and it does take a lot of my spare time to, to, with the family, but it's a pleasure as well. So just now, um, less time perhaps on the, on the, on the sports, um, less, less time on the academic and professional um, qualifications because I've done a lot of those now. I still do a little bit of that um, and I still go to some of my professional uh, events uh, as well uh, and the fellowship dinners and so on. But balance for me now is about seeing things through the, through the eyes of a two-year-old and it's not to be underestimated because they do teach you and it's not, it's, it's, it helps you remember what's important in life. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and the final question, um, who, if anybody is your business idol? Well, that's an easy one. I give you a clue earlier. Um, I think it's Jurgen Klopp, not just because I'm a Liverpool supporter, because that's somebody who does something very differently from everyone else. And has been massively successful. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. I, I followed his career in Germany before he came to United Kingdom. And this is the guy that played sport, no particular professional qualifications at all, that just started showing leadership qualities um, amongst his colleagues on the pitch and just came through as a natural born leader and came through that's kept humble and kept modest and been able to do things differently. And I think that's something we can all learn from. We don't have to be homogenizing our thoughts or, or our beliefs in terms of what's right uh, and what's wrong or what's acceptable and what's not acceptable within the business context. You have to be professional. You have to adhere to professional codes of conduct, but you've got to think outside the box. And when you look at whether you're a sports fan or a Liverpool fan, when you look at 
where he's come in four to five years with a group of very um, different professional athletes and how he's managed to get them to gel and perform as a group and the level of performance and the consistency it's mind-boggling it's mind-boggling and and i find it really interesting that he's managed to do all of that and kept humble and honest and make still makes time for people so at the moment he's the one he's the one that i'm um, I, i'm following um as, as a bit of a, a business idol yeah it's, it's the first uh, football manager i think we've had uh, as an answer to that question but i am um, not a liverpool fan myself but i completely agree with the way that He's had the ability to, to sort of his man management skills, where he's been able to motivate a group of individuals to achieve what is an incredible achievement in the last three or four years. It has been has been incredibly impressive. It's about being humble and and honest and open and being able to be true to yourself, isn't it? Whilst whilst achieving, and I think that's probably uh, as good a point as any to to, yeah. to wrap this up. If you agree. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank, thank you very much, Colba. Thank you for, for all your insight. It's been, been brilliant uh, hearing about your journey and also what um, Adami and group are doing and, and what the plans are for the future. And um, once again, thanks for, thanks for being a guest. It's been my absolute pleasure. All the thanks. Best. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Business Secret Podcast and managed to take away some valuable tips and activities to help you in your business journey. This podcast is aimed at those about to start their self-employed life, are already well into their time as a business owner, or are interested in the business world of Wales. If you like this episode of the Business Secret Podcast, you can catch up on our other episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. Every episode is available on our website, on www.penguinwealth.com where you'll find a full transcription of each episode, useful links, and a step-by-step process on how to download and keep any episode released. You can also download your free copy of our book, The Business Secret, direct from our website. Don't forget to leave us a review and a star rating on Apple Podcasts.